This is The Guardian. Today, when Russia invaded Ukraine, it was the worst day of so many people's lives. But not for Vladimir Saldo. Part two of our series on Ukraine's gangster governor. 2 years ago this week Europe and the world changed. After months of build-up on Ukraine's borders, Vladimir Putin went on TV and announced Russian forces were going in. In those first chaotic hours and days, Moscow's forces overran towns and cities. Places where, in an instant, mayors suddenly lost authority. The police, or what was left of them, were no longer sure whose laws they were enforcing. Even which money to use became unclear. One of those places was the region of Kherson. The war would have implications for the more than one million Ukrainians living there. For one of those people, a man who had been cast out of national politics, who was suspected by the police of ordering a murder, it would change everything. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, Saldo, Ukraine's gangster governor. Part two. So Tom, when Russia rolls into Ukraine on February 24, what does that look like in Kherson? So Kherson is pretty close to areas that the Russians have already controlled, that they took after the 2014 uprising, Crimea to the south and some occupied regions to the east. And the troops are there almost immediately by the next day. They cross the Dnipro River, on the banks of which lies Kherson city, and they're in. As we arrived in the town of Kherson, just before dusk on Thursday... The fighting had crossed over to our side of the river, meaning Russian tanks were in these sleepy streets. So for everyone in Kherson, this moment has finally come, that the evasion has happened. And there's a local journalist, uh, Yevhenya Virlich, who was there and who witnessed the Russians crossing the river and entering the city. We saw them in the district uh, we lived in. It's called Richport, the river port. 
district in Kherson near the river Dnipro. That day we saw like Russian cars and Russian trucks with uh, Z and V symbols, the symbols of the war against Ukraine. I uh, counted near the window. Uh, we lived in the third floor and I've counted 27. For the people in this town, it means afternoons with the noise of rockets landing in the streets. Minutes later, local officials said the city's defences had fallen. In the night uh, before the 1st of March, the Russians tried to enter the city from the last, I think, district that was not controlled by Russians. About 100 civil people, simply um, citizens of Kherson, tried to stop them with no guns, only made the Molotov cocktails by themselves. And uh, Russians simply killed them from the tank. And uh, in the morning, the people saw many killed simply in the square between the trees. Russian forces today captured their first major city. The mayor of Kherson saying Russian troops are now in control there. So there's an extraordinary spirit in those first days after the invasion where people have the courage in the face of an occupying army sent from a vastly powerful neighbour to take to the streets and protest. And large numbers of people gather in Kherson for those demonstrations. I remember that uh, the first demonstration uh, against uh, the Russians was held uh, the 5th of uh, March and it was spontaneous. Simply people wrote one another in messengers, in Facebook, in WhatsApp, in Signal and so on, uh, that we should go and uh, defend our city from the Russians, we should show the Russians our positions. If you want, you should take your Ukrainian flag or maybe some um, stripes uh, with the Ukrainian uh, colors, blue and yellow, and go to the uh, main square, uh, Svoboda Square. There were some thousands of citizens. On Monday, for the first time, Russian soldiers used tear gas and fired into the air. Meanwhile, in the initial weeks of the invasion, you also get a slightly smaller protest. In fact, a much smaller protest. You get a little gathering in a public square, welcoming the invaders, rolling out the red carpet and saying, you're most welcome in Hearson. And there in the middle, making a speech to this little crowd, is the former mayor, the former MP from this area, Vladimir Saldo. Saldo. Saldo himself.
So last we heard of Saldo, he was maybe on the verge of a prosecution for ordering the contract killing of one of his business rivals. Now he's on the streets supporting this Russian invasion. Right, exactly. So there on the front, shells falling, the police chief is telling me before this invasion, we were building a case against Saldo for this hit, this contract killing. We wanted to hand it over to prosecutors. We wanted a case brought against him. Now he's on the street welcoming the invading forces. The invasion has changed everything for him. When the troops arrived, the Russian troops poured into Kherson. Saldo, this big local political figure, nowhere to be seen. He's vanished. No one knows where he is. Until a couple of weeks later, he appears, dressed in black, in one of the town squares, a Soviet flag on either side of him, welcoming the invaders. I mean, he's here telling the Russians, hey, I'm still here. Can I be useful to you? He's here saying, in the most public way possible, I'm your guy. Hmm. So Seldo sticks his hands up, tells the Russians, I'm here, I'm your man. How does that work for him? Very nicely. If you think back a moment, his star has already been falling politically because he's been on the wrong side of Ukrainians' push for independence from Russia, real independence from Russia. Now, not only is he free of the rule of law, because there is no rule of law in Russian-occupied Ukraine, his political ambitions suddenly, once again, can be fulfilled, probably more than he ever dreamt possible. Російські окупанти представили нових очільників Херсона і області. Ними стали колаборанти Володимир Сальдо та Олександр Кобиль. Shortly over a month into the occupation, he is named as the head of what's called the Military Civilian Administration. Essentially, he is appointed as Putin's Gauleiter, Putin's administrator, Putin's man in occupied Kherson. Incredible turnaround. Yeah, that's what they call a comeback. So this is what grasping an opportunity looks like. Russia needs someone to run this region that they've just taken. And right here you have Saldo, a former mayor who supports Putin, is willing, maybe more than willing, to do it. What does this new power, this new occupying force in Kherson, mean for the people who actually live there? So when I got to Kherson, I went to a building, a ground floor, sandbags on the windows, lots of signs nearby of shelling and explosions and death. Uh, and I met um, Andrei Kovalenka, who is a middle-aged prosecutor whose job it is to figure out what happened. So, uh, guys, representatives of the Russian Federation, they created Kherson Civil Military Administration. Russians, yeah. And occupiers appointed Saldo, who was a traitor. Beginning of the March, uh, the Russians, they started to catch uh, Ukrainians who was not uh, agree with the Russian occupation. So they're essentially rounding people up. So they're looking for anyone you might consider a military risk. So anyone who maybe was in the military, anyone who was in uh, the intelligence services or police. They're looking for anyone who might be a political risk, so former local politicians, things like that. They're also looking for anyone I think they would describe as maybe like a cultural risk, so people who 
keep Ukrainian identity alive. So artists, writers, journalists, that kind of thing. They're looking for all of these people. They're going through their phones. They're stopping them at checkpoints. They're using every means available to try to identify these threats. And so as this crackdown is happening, where is Seldo in all this? So he's the boss collaborator, if you like. He's the main Ukrainian politician who is overseeing the running of the occupation. Okay, and the Russian Federation sponsored this armed uh, unit, military armed unit, but Saldo was like a proxy. So money came from Russia to this uh, civil military administration and then to this guy. And Saldo was a head of this. Now, of course, the Kremlin is in charge and the new GSB security agency in Kherson, that has its own boss. But Saldo is the guy who is making it happen. Yevhenia tells me that actually Saldo is directing this operation. He's helping them to find targets among the Ukrainians who have been his constituents for decades. We know uh, Saldo personally for many years. He was mayor of the city, was, he was in the city council and so on. We knew him and we knew his absolutely Russian mind, if I can say this. We understood that if he is with Russians, he will help them to find activists, uh, journalists, uh, pro-Ukrainian people, because Russians cannot know all of us, but the people who work with Russians from Kherson, like Saldo, they know. And Saldo knew the best of all, because he was very active and he was in local politics for many years. He knew us very well. Did you say that he actually led FSB or GASB people to the addresses? From our friends, from our subscribers, followers, there were some videos, some pictures with uh, Saldo who helped the VSBs to go around the buildings and find the pro-Ukrainian people. What would happen to them? Some of them uh, they couldn't find because some of them lived to Kherson and ran away. Some of them are in prison till now and we don't know about them. Our understanding is that many, many people in Kherson were taken in and treated appallingly, but also that hundreds never came out. The ones who were picked up, what happened to them? So a lot of them are taken to you know buildings they would have been familiar with in this city, but that have now been given over by saldo to very different purposes. Uh, so members of this uh, illegal uh, armed unit, they turned these rooms into their prison cells. There were no electricity there, no ventilation, toilet, uh, toilet, no toilet, no beds. Sometimes they kept uh, men's and women's together. They often tortured uh, them. How how did they torture them? They beat them by electricity. 
they did uh, imitations of the shooting mock executions yeah, yeah execution yeah yeah at the most basic level it's just the classic techniques of torture people are being disoriented bags put on their head mm. they're being beaten kicked physically abused they're using mock executions so that's when you put a, a weapon that the victim believes is loaded right next to the head and you pull the trigger and that's it has an incredibly powerful psychological effect and people will break off when you, when you do that to them but then there are even more sort of grotesque and horrible techniques being used and when I was in Hassan I was given uh, some letters now I was told that these were letters from written by a political prisoner and smuggled out to um, his wife who is still in free Ukraine um, and we showed them to, to, to Andre the prosecutor and asked him to help us understand what, what the prisoner was describing we, we, we have a, a letter do you have yes. it there? C could, could we show yes. Andre? we have a letter from a political prisoner that's written in a kind of like a poem I wonder if he could explain what he thinks it means the part about the phone call Ми маємо, ми маємо листа, він хоче сказати, і там є, він так робив як поема. So the letters are almost poetic in parts, and quite beautifully written actually, and they, they talk about just this man's courage in the face of what was being done to him. He's quite an old guy, but there's also one of them that's, the title of which is A Call to the President of Ukraine. Now that seems completely cryptic and bizarre, but then we do now have an understanding of that this kind of terminology was being used in the torture chambers for the most horrific torture. So it seems that a call to the president of Ukraine, a call to President Zelensky, means that they would take these electric cables that they were using and they'd put them on the genitals of the victim, put an electric shock through them. And then they have this other turn, a call to Biden, and that's if you put the electric clips on the anus of the victim, oh God. do the same thing. And, and these are obviously the terms of the two great hate figures for the invaders, Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, Biden, the American president, who's been Ukraine's biggest supporter. Tom, why were they doing this to these people? Why torture a guy like that? So possibly even more horrifying than the techniques is the motive and it's so petty in a way. In this particular case of this political prisoner, the purpose of that seems to be to make this guy who's, who's been very pro-Ukrainian, lived a long life, has been in the Ukrainian military, record a video on YouTube. And this shows you how crucial the war for reality is mm. or how crucial it's deemed by the Russians to be anyway because what this victim ends up saying is that the massacre at Butcher, one of the most horrifying moments of the war in those early days in a suburb near Kiev where lots of people were just slaughtered, chucked into mass graves this torture victim goes on YouTube and says it was all fake so his ordeal, an ideal that's scarcely imaginable, he goes through that in the service of propaganda. It's chilling. So, you know, you remember that moment when Saldo's with the big Soviet flags, right? This is all very Soviet, right? 
This is total control of reality. You believe what it's good for you to believe. This is what's happening here, whether it's in the torture chambers or on the streets or on the telegram channels. And Saldo is the front of that in her son. He is the guy day after day after day giving voice to Putin's alternative facts. And if you know what's good for you in her son, you agree. Saldo Vladimir Vasilievich, добровольно осознанно, принимая гражданство Российской Федерации, клянусь, so in June 2022, that's just a few months into the invasion, there he is, Saldo, for the cameras, receiving his Russian passport. And it's just one of the big early moments, the big set pieces in this alternative reality that's being constructed that Russia is putting the arm of friendship around these poor Ukrainians. Coming up, occupied but not defeated, the Ukrainian resistance gets to work against Seldom. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Tom, as all this is happening, are there people in Kherson who are fighting back against the Russians and against Seldo? So after those early protests against the Russians, there's a real crackdown. But Ukrainians in Kherson 
start to resist. It's not easy. The Russians have a really sophisticated operation from surveillance of phones, which are shifted onto Russian phone networks, to checks at roadblocks um, to see if you've been using certain apps that are deemed suspicious, if you've ever posted anything that might be deemed pro-Ukrainian. It's very hard to organise a resistance, but um, a resistance is organised, and it starts to take shape with people in hiding. And often, it's the most unlikely people, just the people who have these circumstances thrust upon them. Ordinary people like you and me going around their days who decide to try to resist. People like Yevhenia. We were monitoring the news. I think that it was 24 hours a day. From the early morning, if sometimes in the night, it's the information that people are sending us. It's the news from Russian propaganda. We were trying to check the facts and write the real information to um, show that Russian propaganda is lying. So this is an underground. This is an underground news wire. Yeah, you're trying to keep real news going under the occupation. Yeah, we spoke with our insiders, but in the written form. Uh, some of them were in Telegram, but most in Signal and WhatsApp. And what Yevhenia is helping to do is kind of keep reality alive under the occupation. So even just the details of daily life under her son, the more she can just keep doing her journalism and keep some facts circulating, the more she's resisting the occupation. But that must be so dangerous in those circumstances. How does she possibly get away with it? Yeah, but they hid. So she and her husband, they, 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 they hid. They tried to stay out of sight as best they could all the time. We were like personal enemies of Saldo and his friends. And uh, we were um, sure that we are in the lists of headhunting. She did occasionally venture outside. And one day in the summer... After the invasion, she's having a coffee um, with a friend in the courtyard of their kind of apartment block. And suddenly she saw that they'd come for her. So for some minutes we drank coffee and then we saw a black car that arrived to my house, to the building I lived in. Four people went out from this car. Two of them uh, were in military uh, wear but with uh, no symbols, as Russians like. They had specific Russian pronouns, and they were very, very white-skinned. <laughs> they told us, good morning. We asked, good morning. And they went to the building. I understood that uh, that were FSB people, but uh, they didn't recognize me. I called to my husband and told him uh, not to open the door. And he answered me that Russians only knocked at the door. They didn't go in. They just about got away with it. It seems maybe that the secret police, they had an address, but not a photo because they looked right at her. But up they went. They knocked on the door. They didn't find her husband. They didn't realize she was who they were after. They got away from it, but they moved then to a different apartment where they weren't known with their cat. They keep doing their work, but after a while, they come again. They were knocking at our door um, for some times. 
Vlad observed what's going on to a little hole in the door. You can observe what's going on behind the door. And I tried to cancel all the chats and tried to hide all the information in our uh, phones, in our smartphones. When they uh, went away, I saw them. He asked, I think that it was uh, one of our neighbors. Uh, he asked her, did you see such a woman? Her surname is Virlich. And she has answered them, no, I don't know who is it. Maybe it was true. But I've understood if that policeman is near this building, it means that they know that we are uh, somewhere there and we've decided to leave. So at that time, you could actually still cross out of the occupied territories into free Ukraine. And you needed fake papers and you had to go through dozens of checkpoints. But eventually they made it past the last checkpoint and out of occupied Ukraine. At the moment that it happened, I felt nervous. I felt something like a tremor and tried to think about what to do. When it, uh, it was uh, solved, when uh, everything was okay, I simply cried because it was such a long time with uh, great <laughs> nervous. It was not like fear, I was not scared, it was something else. I even cannot uh, explain this uh, uh, feeling in Ukrainian. <laughs> it was something um, searching what to do and then simply crying. Tom, that is incredible testimony. It really brings home what it means to be on Saldo's enemies list. In the meantime, how secure is Saldo in his position? He's in charge. He's got more power than he's ever had in his political career. And what's more, he's now a senior official of the Russian state. Voting in eastern Ukraine's so-called referendums has ended Tuesday evening. And according to early counts, 98% of votes have said yes to joining Russia in all four eastern regions. He has overseen a sham referendum like the ones that's happened elsewhere in occupied Ukraine, under which her son, occupied her son, has now formally become part of Russia. And Vladimir Saldo is uh, formally known as the acting governor of this province of Putin's Russia. So his political comeback you'd have to say, is nearly complete. Just think back to 2014. There's Saldo, a seat in the Ukrainian parliament, becoming a big man in politics. And then comes the revolution. And he's on the wrong side of it. He's on the Russian side. And he's out. And he's back to her son. And now, a few short years later, here he is. He's gone further than he could ever have dreamed. He's standing in the Kremlin with Vladimir Putin. So, Tom... At this stage, things are looking pretty good for Saldo. Right, but then six months after he becomes the boss of her son, down the road from the West come the Ukrainian army. The Ukrainian Minister of Defence has put a complete news blackout on events in the Kherson region. Undoubtedly, the battle for Kherson is now on. 
Tomorrow, when Ukrainian troops storm into Kherson, retaking the city, where does that leave the man who was running it for the Russians? Will Seldo be brought to justice? This series is based on the reporting of Tom Burgess, whose written piece on Seldo you can find at theguardian.com. The Guardian reached out repeatedly to Vladimir Seldo about the allegations in this piece, and he did not reply. Before we go, if you're enjoying this mini-series from today in Focus, then you might be interested in a series I've been working on with the team for about six months. It's called Black Box, and it's about artificial intelligence, this mysterious new technology I'm sure you've heard a lot about, and what we think is just as compelling and mysterious, which is the people using it. It's called Black Box. It's about AI and us. And the first episode is out in two days, so on Thursday. You can find it by searching Black Box wherever you listen to Today in Focus. And that is it for today. This series is produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer is Phil Maynard. And we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Thank you.